Serial Mom is a movie from the 90s. Um, I don't know if there's any trigger warnings in it. Please look it up yourself before you watch. About a suburban mom who kills people over mundane things like not, not recycling or wearing white after Labor Day. I... I, I looked up a, a poster for this. It looks wild. I, I want to see this weird film. Have you seen Ben, a movie about a little boy who makes friends with a rat who is a revolutionary leader in the rat community who is trying to overthrow the humans, but then it turns out not really. Uh, they the, the rats are just kind of discriminated against because people are really mean to rats. And it's actually an allegory for the civil rights movement. Oh my God. And then Michael Jackson sings a song at the end Stop about it. how what? sad it is. Um, and that's that's where that Michael Jackson song came from. And um, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good movie. I've just checked the the wonderful resource for if you want to check if our old thing has bad humor in it. Uh, DoesTheDogDie.com, great website oh. for just like general trigger warning stuff. Uh, they saw it as a website just for Does the Dog Die, and then they added in a bunch of other stuff. Serial Mom apparently does have some transphobia in it, unfortunately. Oh, never mind. Uh, I'm sorry. Like I said, just any movie at all from it, the nineties or two thousands. I, I used to play. If I ever watch like a, a TV show made in the nineties, I play a game called How Many Episodes to Transphobia because <laughs> it's always in season one, and you can usually count it on your fingers how many episodes it is. Have you seen the Block Island sound? It's really good. It's like a Lovecraftian horror, but it really kind of gets inside a small town America kind of conservative, uh, like MAGA adjacent like mindset and reactionary kind of viewpoint on the world in a way that's really like uh, humanizing and sympathetic without being. It's called the Block Island sound, and it, it's humanizing without like siding with any kind of bigotry or reactionary sentiment, uh, because the thing that like they connect you to the perspective through is fear, right? Like a huge existential horror. And that's the, like, that's the way that they make you understand this reactionary character's perspective, which, yeah, is, is a thing we have in common. Reactionary people are terrified of the world. <laughs> Circles back to the almost father of cosmic horror was a man who kind of reacted badly to change. So this is our movie podcast. Yeah. Um, so what what we're doing this week is we're doing a Q and A. We're answering listener questions about the season that has occurred. About the about the movie that we just talked about only. Nothing else. Yeah. It's a, it's a Q and A about about horror movies. <laughs> people would listen to that. I'm sure people would. Yes. Yeah. Austin, ask us questions about season eight of Dice Funk. I will do exactly that. First up, I'm just going to read from the Twitter post. Uh, if you follow me at Austin Yorsky, because that's where I ask for questions. They're also going to read some of that are put in the Discord, but that's where I'm starting. I'm just going to read them as they show up to me. No particular method to this madness. Christina's Art, at Christina's underscore art, asks, Who was your favorite of the original town members, and who was your favorite character who joined the cast partway through? That's very funny. (laughs) I could say just uh, glancing over these, I I think a lot of these are going to be focused on one player and one specific action they decided on. Huh? What? Oh, it was when when Aze cried. Yeah, I bet. It was that one time that Aze cried that was really... um... The yeah. defining moment. The defining yeah. moment of the show, yeah. Look, there's the best, best character <laughs> all season, clearly the pizza rats. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally true, though, Queen. <laughs> I enjoyed that I was like, I'm going to get that cat. That's going to be my cat. 
<laughs> and then one episode, Cat just had a voice. And I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I I really, really thought Ruth was a interesting character. I'm I'm a sucker for flumps, gen generally. Because <laughs> I like, look, I, I, I like when you get a flump in a uh position in a narrative where like they would come up against conflict if people knew what they were doing because they are such a like uh, it's just gonna bowl over them they're not gonna be able to do much sort of sort of character that you get the you get you get the good sneaky moments on I, I thought Ruth was really good for that for the I'm going to try and do things in a way that I you know I'm not gonna be stopped I found that interesting you were gonna you were considering playing Ruth that was definitely an option on the table until, um, look, at a point where I just thought it was going to be Neelith that was going to die, yeah, I was 100%, like, I had a Ruth character sheet ready. And then the de-aging happened, and then, and then, yeah, and then Austin was like, maybe don't, maybe don't kill. <laughs> look, there, there, there was 100%, there was a Ruth character sheet that got made, we had, like, the ideas were there of, like, what what the combo character character sheet would be if it successfully occurred? Mm -hmm. You know that 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 happened. I thought Ruth was great. Yeah, the audience uh, had a really strong negative in a, in a good way uh, mm -hmm. reaction to her uh, kind of antagonistic arc because mm -hmm. she was yeah she was like essentially the antagonist of of the sortition arc if you think of it that way. I guess I think of it more as like the good neighbor arc because yeah. they were like the physical yeah. threat. But you know what I mean. A lot of people were like, oh, she's she's going to be the ultimate villain. Like she's pulling all these strings and stuff. And I I don't know. I mean, I think it's open to debate like how bad her actions were. If she was just like a well-meaning person who bent the rules a little bit. Or if it's like, no, that's really unacceptable. This place should have a prison. <laughs> I think you can decide those things. But like, I will say, I think that as a group, like the, I think it's impressive how much the audience came back around on Ruth over time. Because mm -hmm. like, it's sometimes it's sometimes difficult to get an audience back on side with a character they've decided they don't like, and yeah. Having someone die tragically is usually a one-way ticket to a fan favorite, though. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. I was going to say, like, with Ruth, Ruth's uh, situation as well, I think part of it, too, was just a matter of, like, uh, I think a lot of it came down to, like, the framing of what the nature of the sortition itself was and how everything kind of plays out with it. And then once the once you had the several downtime scenes with Ruth, uh, Laura, I think that aided in, like, the sort of the character restoration on her part. Um only for her to die tragically at that point after all that. In a similar regard, um, in terms of like not liking characters and them having maybe kind of uh, antagonistic parts and then and then liking them a lot more, my, my favorite uh, character from the original uh, Townsfolk is uh, Gigi, um, mm. who I didn't like at all until just right near the end uh, with just the last few episodes. Um, just... Um, saw I felt like a different side to him that I like um I guess I just really liked that throughout the whole season I didn't find him relatable at all um and found him to be kind of one of the less interesting characters even when he was kind of expressing that he was sad I thought it was in a kind of way where I was like come on man um and then yeah and then just the last few episodes I was just like ah, I, I get I get this guy doesn't mean I like <laughs> would like to hang out with him but like I get him. 
I, I <laughs> Mari put in the wrong chat. BRB fart. Incredible. <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could cut that out if it's embarrassing, but just perfect. Yeah. Uh, for for me, I think of the original like villagers. Uh, Venta, I, I think, really stood out overall. I think Venta's. Uh, had the trappings of being borderline just like a joke character of sorts, given like a lot of what goes on. But there was a very fun, I think, balancing in Ventus' characterization of, honestly, this balance of chaotic energy plus like, you know, genuine seriousness about the work that they did. And on top of all of that, you had the Kalashdar thing, which that was an interesting sort of, uh, treatment of that particular material. And last but not least, Venta being a key character to always reliably cause Discord to flip the fuck out and mute Austin whenever Austin was trying to say anything in Venta's voice. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> very important thing about Dis- Venta. Discord hated the Venta voice. Also, Venta, <laughs> Venta is the character, I think, with the uh, most... Uh, the arc as a character that was the most climactic and had the most satisfying climax are you are you saying that because they climaxed is this a joke <laughs> yeah i'm talking about when venta nod yeah okay thank yeah. you i i guess i shouldn't draw, draw attention to it i was just Look, you should always draw attention to when venta not <laughs> it, it, it was it was one of those things that 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 uh had a reach beyond just the podcast itself so it definitely had a far-reaching build-up um for that there so yeah <laughs> Mari, are you back? Yeah, I'm here. I farted. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> what? No. I didn't want to be on the recording. You, no, yeah. it's your turn to answer the question, you goof. Okay, I love Cat. And that cat turned suddenly one day had a voice. And I was like, I didn't even question why. I was just like, all right. The other half of the question, I guess, like, I, I liked Anne the most as char- characters who joined partway through. I, I don't know if that part of the if that, the other part of the question was serious, but I I liked Anne. I thought Anne was cool. I liked that um, you negged Anne a lot <laughs> and like really destroyed every bit of confidence that they had. <laughs> I've just had a lot of friends who kind of were like a bit of a like a, a basement incel and found that like kind of uh, firm but fair teasing was the the most effective strategy to make them into a better person. <laughs> I literally was thinking about that scene where you kept saying like, "Oh, I don't know. I'm no. I'm just fucking with you," uh, <laughs> over and over. And I just burst out laughing the other day. Just uh. favorite character that came in part way through, Mold. Um, Holy Mold, shit! Like, oh, yeah. g- genuinely so impressed by how well you took all of Mari's offhand comments and uh-huh. created a uh-huh. really like. A really well fleshed out character that was literally just Mari's own statements, but still felt cohesive and consistent. The, re- <laughs> the reveal was, of yeah, that the reveal of Mold uh, had me going around for about six weeks, telling telling lots of people I know I wish I was half as good a DM as Austin. Yeah, I, I like, like like the the thing that about Mold was I think I mentioned this before was that Mari on the side was talking to me for weeks try to plot up some sort of like oh i want i want there to be like the separate faction away from slime and all this other stuff and how are they going to work and what's going to happen and i i, I kept just noting just you know just give austin just the loose idea of what you want to do and he'll find a way to incorporate it i don't know if yeah and then that. he betrays you and makes it like 
so much worse. So much <laughs> worse. It was amazing. Um, it was so oh no, amazing. Having to deal with the consequences I mean, of I mean, your actions. I didn't say I like Mari, first and foremost, you wanted Mole to be antagonistic towards slime. You wanted that fraction to be antagonistic towards slime in Austin. No no no. What I wanted was for slime to be unable and upset that they wouldn't be able to communicate with another faction because of other political reasons. But anyway, I do actually do enjoy mold. I just get emotionally attached because I was like, that was my son, bro. Mari is going through the speed run of the type of feelings I had to like, here, I'm going to put a little cute character in my backstory. And Austin's like, yoink. <laughs> Slap that in the story in front of you and be like, oh, fuck. Um, I will, I will say that as a season four callback, uh, this models my reaction when Austin revealed Ash in the middle of season four. I'm just like, oh, I'm fucking terrified, like shaking in my seat, terrified. So once again, to echo Sophie's statements, yeah, uh, Austin, uh, I'm I'm jealous that everyone else here is going to continue having you as a DM and I won't for a while. So that's... <laughs> I definitely subconsciously and then consciously was like, I definitely have some issue with really wanting to be a mom. And now all of these fake slime babies in this game are my children. And this man keeps trying to kill them. And I'm so <laughs> No, this this is the secret of playing tabletop RPGs. You're gonna end you're gonna end up working out some shit with your characters. Yeah. That's just yeah. how it yeah. goes. It's yeah. But I will say, I think I've said this before in our chat. I've never felt like I was a furry in any way. And it wasn't because I didn't think it was cool. It was just be like, I just don't feel like an animal. And then I was like, I'm not an animal. I'm a fungus living inside of a dead body. And I feel like that gets me. I had a really similar experience to that with Wojak memes. Um, and all the people <laughs> saying return to monkey. And I was like, that's a kind of funny meme, but I don't really get it. And then they made mushroom Wojak. <laughs> who like the the joke of the comic is like he's never different he's just mushroom uh with a little face and i was like yeah man i get this guy <laughs> i'm entranced by mushroom wojack um okay i'm going to close this window sketch did you want to talk about before we go to the next question about what the thing you just said about oh oh yeah so <clears throat> this is well this has already been announced on twitter weeks ago by the time people hear this um but in short, uh, the best way to describe it is an opportunity to bring a really great person on the show has presented itself, and and this and in order to best facilitate that, uh, Austin and I uh, had a discussion, and um, at least for the foreseeable future, I will be well once again uh, stepping down as a cast member from the show, um, as of well the end of well this recording. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's uh, it's always a little rough because on uh, because from my perspective, like th there's a lot that I enjoy doing on the show. Both technically, I like doing the behind the scenes help out and, and like facilitating things on D and D Beyond and otherwise. Um, but it's also just a lot of creative satisfaction I get from this that I haven't gotten from other you know other things I've worked on in the past and other even some other tabletop things I've been involved with. And so that's always, there's always a little bit like, ah, uh, it's sad to be leaving sort of thing. But at the end of the day, um, this is something I do for fun. And I've, I've 
and from the standpoint of uh making sure that things uh run well overall here it's uh it was just something where uh we talked it out and yeah i will still be trying to contribute uh in the scheme of doing like one shots i am working on some shard point stuff trying to get recording for that done in the next week or two hopefully that will kind of resolve out and then hopefully some more can happen but uh yeah it's uh I, all I could say is that I'm just happy as always to be on air when I can. And I'm just also happy that I was able to kind of do as much as I could story-wise with Aze as I did. I was not expecting that to turn out the way it, uh, way it did in all of its ways, but uh, I think it was still very satisfying to have his character grow during this season. And uh, I think the last bit of that, of course, is um, I just always enjoy hanging out with everyone in the call here uh so it's probably the number one thing i'll miss about being on the show actively is just hearing everyone in this call on a regular basis so. gonna miss you too bud sad to see you go and yeah i really love what you did with Ozzy this season um i think yeah it, it, it's been a, it's been uh and obviously like people in the fan discord have loved it like you've uh yeah people have been crazy about Ozzy the whole time I like the star stuff. Oh yeah, renaming all your spells was so cool. Uh, have, having having a existing character to build off really made it so much easier for me to jump into a new character mid-season, and it was really nice to have that sort of stuff build up throughout the season. So it was lovely. Yeah. Uh, this. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it's wild also just the the sheer amount of work that I put into Aze and I spent all this time with Austin and Joa trying to come up with this constellation stuff in hopes that'd be like the new conduit thing for people and it just did not land at all in that way with the fans which was a little sad until I threw out the tarot angle at the very end that people were like oh I can get on top of this I'm like <laughs> that was <laughs> well, very a, fun there's the more fan art uh, opportunity in tarot cards that is true. That is very true. I, I I actually had a plan of commissioning a set of tarot kind of art for the for everyone. That would that's like a multi hundred slash thousand dollar venture to go down. Yeah. <laughs> and I would I'm still on the edge of like that'd be a great product to do, but I need to like set aside some cash for that. <laughs> but All right. Austin, we got any more questions? Uh, for whom the Kel tolls at for whom the Kel toll on Twitter asks, I'm planning on playing a character inspired by slime. Does Mari have any advice or lessons learned by playing slime that you'd like to pass on? Um, <clears throat> a lot of slimes dialogue is like based on just observing the world around them and having the most literal and jaded view on it, but completely flat. Like, just seeing, oh, the world is fucking terrible. Okay. Like, duh. That, there. And everyone, you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where they'll make an observation that's dark but true. I, I feel like the way I've always read... The comparison I always have for Slime's dialogue is... What if you had, like, a an episode of Daria but without, like, the smirk at the end of a sentence? <laughs> You just like you just you just keep it completely flat and you don't let it have any rise of inflection at the end. That's a, that's about <laughs> where slimes at. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's like, I imagine slime is kind of like a space explorer. Like if you were you and you went into a planet inhabited of just slimes, how would you navigate what they do? And that's how I try to do slime. Slime's just like here. They're not even an animal. They're literally a fungus. Like they have nothing in common. So they're just being like, I don't know why these people are doing that. But if I want to fit in, I got to do it too. And then they try to do it, but they do it completely wrong because their brain just works differently. And by their brain, I mean their entire body mass. Bonafide Bufana Day Mike at Slime King Mike, a uh, drawer of great art, including the map that saved your life, asks, <laughs> "Oh my God, yeah! If if your current character had died, which NPC would you have taken over to play the remainder of the season?" Blade. I mean, can I say same? Like I, yeah, I did have, yeah, okay. <laughs> you can be the quarry, and I'll be the body. We can both be it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, for, I, I think the first time this was asked, I think kind of at the midpoint, I think the answer I had was Hale, but that was before Hale was revealed to be actually Enri, which, or slash Laszlo, which then led to, uh, other things. So if I had to re- do it again, it'd probably be Venta just because, you know, I, the problem is I couldn't do Venta's voice justice. I'd have to have Austin speak all my lines, which is completely fine. That's less work <laughs> Yeah, for me. that's a little untenable. You'd be, like, texting him, I guess? Yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Since Bozogs were introduced in, like, season three, people have been asking for, you know, them to make a big return. I think they've been referenced a couple of times, but there's never been a major Bozog character. And this season, it was fun, but it also shows why it's just probably not going to happen again in a major way, at least not with hey, the voice. Hey, Austin. Austin, I'm uh-huh. still at some point going to do a Bozog. I don't know when. But I'm gonna Bozog. Okay, are you gonna do the voice? I mean, I'm probably gonna do the voice toned down just enough that Discord is okay with it. <laughs> sort of the, oh yeah, just a little bit up here. Yeah. Playing chicken with Discord for nine months. <laughs> Look, one of these days I'm gonna be a Flump or a Bozog or both, somehow. Mm-hmm. A Flozog. <laughs> Yeah. Flozog is a great term. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. Feeling like a ghost at Evil Inventions asks, uh, is there a reason, this is directed at me, is there a reason why you took over Nobi's role rather than Sophie, other than from drama from people not taking decisions made well? <laughs> no, it was because so Sophie uh, didn't have to play two characters talking to each other, so Kat and Nobi could talk together more. Yeah, was why I played. Yeah, it was quite directly the. It was the episodes where it was just Cat and Nobi in the village, uh, and it would it would <laughs> if you think it through. Like I would have been happy to be playing Nobi for a bunch of it, and I did jump in back a bit there at the end. But like, if you think it through that those episodes, it would be like me going from house to house and being like, stick them up. Uh, no, Nobi, that's not necessary. Marina is j- just crying. No, stick them up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would be a whole. It would be, and then Austin would be one voice in this conversation. It would be a whole thing. Honestly, you've convinced me that ruled. <laughs> Even on top of that, we could we could potentially have reached a point where Sophie was playing three different player characters, which. Even if you take aside the like uh, conflicting interests of those characters, like that that's a that's a lot of people to be. 
Listen, in the native um, peoples of the Toriel Forest, it's it's quite common, actually, slavery does exist, but <laughs> it... Hang on, you're going too fast. All of this is boring! <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, you have a, a much better grasp of doing that than I do. I, I can remember all the weird and name things Slime has ever said. That's my gift. <laughs> y- yours is to actually being an actor. Uh... <laughs> uh. uh. But yeah, it would have been confusing. Is the point and uh, hard. Mm-hmm. So it also aids in the editing process. I think when you actually have like two characters that are able to talk, two people that are able to talk to each other during something to have that type of pacing. Um, so yeah, uh, there's true. logistical as well as uh, vocal threshold and burden reasons to have that happen. No, that's a good point. Honestly, like uh, the rhythm of a conversation between me and Austin, where Austin's, you know as the dm is all the characters versus the revenue conversation where i have two characters who need who like it's really important that they talk and then austin as all the other characters would be really weird <laughs> uh derek ross at schmaz products on twitter asks skitch did you think of Ozay as somewhat of a klutz or was it just you leaning into the dice rolls yeah, so that was absolutely just leaning to the dice rolls. Um, the the first few dice rolls happened. He had the Pratt Falls, and then I reverse engineered that as part of his characterization. I even took it a step further in my own head. Of it was a direct consequence of like Enri's presence making him more klutzy as a way to persi- persistently get at him for. for reasons like there was a period when i was literally thinking that or something adjacent to the yokai but yeah it was something that i did not intend um for his characterization it just felt like a nice quirk to add in after the few dice rolls that led to it uh syretha at ls blackwood asks mari which of slime's bodies were your favorite Ooh, um the snow snake (laughs) Uh yeah <clears throat> at first, I didn't want to like pick a body because at the beginning, you know, we were in early 2021 and we'd all just survived that. And I was like, I'm not a person. I don't even want to have a body. I don't even want to acknowledge it. I just want to be a fungus. And that's the concept of where Slime came from. And then, you know, Austin encouraged me to actually engage with that. And I was like, well, I don't want it to be anything like me. So the weirder the bodies, the better. You know, being a demon. And then, you know, Mold was like, hey, I don't respect you because you're not big. And I was like, I know where I can find a big body. (laughs) And I thought it was thematic because it was like, oh, well, my dead body eats your dead body. Because when they're grown, they eat this giants. So... I also just love being a dead giant Gyarados. So, can I, <laughs> that is pretty great. Can I pick one? I just want to say I love the Hecatonkeries. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 Mari's opinion that counts when it's when it's her character's bodies. But uh, new character, new creatures I learned I, that existed this season. Hecatonkeries was pretty awesome. Is that the one with all the arms? Yeah, I love that too because it was also just bizarre. Yeah, they're all pretty good. It was a good season. <laughs> I loved being big, you know? I love that when we enter spaces, I was, like, too big. (laughs) Okay, so, like... It's it's great getting to pretend that you are are weird things. (laughs) D&D's wonderful. Yes, pretend. Pretending is what I'm doing. 
Yeah, I think a lot about because people are like, oh, this character isn't relatable or whatever. It's like I make the most unrelatable art that's ever existed. There hasn't been a human in six seasons. Everyone is like fucking and six people in one body and rotting arms falling off. It's just nothing we do <laughs> do here is relatable in any way. And it's that's great. what makes it so relaxing, though. You know. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you just want sometimes you just want to be a horse for a while. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like okay. <laughs> Critics rave. Sometimes you just want to be a horse for a while. That's okay. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> fuck. Uh let's see here. Uh, heavy man martyr of hope at logan moron 31 asks what was the plan to pull the akashic stone into the plot before chris changed their schedule would a giant roll around and accuse grendel of stealing it um no i, I don't think i mean if, if things were going the way they were i don't i that wasn't a uh, plot element at all um i <laughs> i really don't i promise i'm not planning that far ahead um it, uh, Chris leaving changed pretty much everything. Um, I don't know if we will be and like how much people listen to this right now will know ahead of time that Chris is planning to show up in this recording. It's a secret. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh or my god! Uh, maybe 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 we can get circle back around if Chris shows up for the recording. Um, what, Sophie, did I bring the Akashic Stone stuff to you about Philippa and why Philippa was in the village? I feel like that was... It was definitely it was definitely you, yeah. Well, yeah, it was me specifically brought up the idea of the item, but yeah. No, I mean, uh, I gave you, like, I think anthropology... I could, no, wait, did I? Did you say that, actually? No, no, no. I think, yeah, I think I, think I gave you, like, anthropologist studying, like, studying, you know, other D&D races somewhere... And you said the Akashic Stones, like, are missing, would be would be the thing that I'd come to the village for. Yeah, so that literally where it came from was, like, how do we incorporate a, a character arriving when we established that, the like, the whole point was that we were cut off from everybody. Right, so, so it, it was, be, yeah, so, had to be on the mountain. Had to be close, had to have some kind of logical reason, and then, you know, heighten the drama. So that's where that all came from. Um, things would have been very different. Uh, if Chris is in the left, I talked about the uh, private regional enemy, uh, sworn oh, yeah. enemy of the pu- public <laughs> universal friend. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff, but yeah, that that changed everything. I mean, a private regional enemy is just a landlord. Ah, nice, very nice. Uh, Cynic eighty four <laughs> at Cynic eighty four asks, so Sophie, since you listened to previous seasons, what are some of your favorite moments? Just do a commercial for my show, Sophie. Across the whole, the whole entire. Who who was it who asked this again? <laughs> Cynic eighty four. Are you going after Cynic eighty four, motherfucker? There <laughs> there are eight seasons of this goddamn show. Um, <laughs> it's uh okay. Uh, no, I'll be serious for a sec. Um, I guess like, my favorite uh, moment of rolling with rainbows is when you went to the cat goddess and she's saying <laughs> everyone loves it here. That was my favorite. Thank moment. you. See, it's uh, I like. I was proud of that character. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I love uh, Laura's Yu-Gi-Oh wizard. Uh, Frank became one of my favorite characters from like anything ever. And when uh, Frank surrendered the jewel to uh, a, a, a spoilt teenager who has an abusive dad and, and has a very hollow and shallow life, uh, I, I cried because um, 
it was completely in keeping with what happens in the Yu-Gi-Oh anime, uh, while yeah. adding like layers upon layers upon layers of depth that like uh, Frank is this like divorced guy who uh, who's like really uh, who, who like seems to have a really sad life on the, on the face of it. You're like, okay, divorced, competitive children's card game player, <laughs> uh, but actually. He's an he's an adult and he's grown up and he know he knows what he's doing and and this kid doesn't need to be like have his ass kicked in Yu-Gi-Oh to, to like oh. that's not what this kid needs he needs I, a win. I, I'm glad that you noted like how exactly in keeping with Yu-Gi-Oh that moment was because 100 percent 100 percent I stole the pacing for that scene from. Season one of Yu-Gi-Oh, where Kaiba's standing up against the ledge, and he's like, "If you destroy my blue eyes, I'll like in the blast <laughs> yeah, will knock yeah. me off That's the exactly castle." What I was thinking of, it's, yeah. It's the like, <laughs> look, it's it's not as important for me to win this card game as it is for you to be okay. <laughs> oh, I love Frank. Frank's, so Frank's a bumbling dumbass, so and I love good. him. <laughs> Donna Human at Donna Human asks, "What do each of you look back at as the coolest thing you got to do this campaign?" Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm I'm looking. It's like okay, coolest singular thing. I mean, Sophie kind of nailed, hit on it earlier. Just being given permission to go as Hog Wild with just making my druid at the least druid feeling druid possible by re to the point that so he forgot that i was playing a druid at one point because of how he renamed everything about it <laughs> um it's pretty great uh but uh i will say that like emotionally it was i, I still am surprised by how it it was really strong to just have the conflict between nobi and Aze back at Ventas way back when. And mm. I, I remember you specifically, Sophie, bringing up the fact that, like, Nobi's whole rationale for pinning the event later on on Aze was was born directly from him slapping Nobi. Mm. Yeah, because he's a patty little freak, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, I think... Um... I'm probably proudest of Cat coming out. Uh, like I just, uh, uh, I thought it was really in keeping with like, um, like I like to make characters trans because uh, I'm trans and I think that trans people are the most interesting people. Um, but uh, uh, I thought it was really particularly in keeping for the kind of like parenting that had been on display from Slime uh, that Cat would have a relatively easy time just being like. Uh, just being like, yeah, I want to trans my gender. Like, sure, that's fine. And it would have a kind of easy time coming out because of the weird kind of depressive nihilist that Slime is. <laughs> I, first of all, Slime has 720 sexes, according to human, real, not human, real world facts. Two, I literally didn't even register it. I was just like, oh, cat's a girl. <laughs> I and I'm not even trying Completely to. Completely in I character. Just, <laughs> I had no reason to question it. Yeah, they're that's already great. like they're like a half ant, half lion. <laughs> Who cares? Right. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, that's completely in character. Yeah. Just like it's, it's like you say, if, if slime has if slime has hundreds hundreds of sexes, then yeah, uh, why would they even notice? <laughs> Basically, uh, it was very good. I, I believe there was like just like a moment when like slime just declared that cat is a princess, and cat just goes with it, and it's like that's just there's the moment. 
and just like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is incredibly relatable. Someone says something vaguely feminine coded and the <laughs> switch goes in your brain and you're like, oh, oh no, <laughs> oops. Well, it makes sense because you are the daughter of an ant queen. Yeah. So it's like, I yeah, thought I it would have been, really like, good. not to, like, god mode your character. I was, I was like, maybe Kat can, go, like, go back and be like, I am your princess. Fight for me. <laughs> and I would have, that would have been so cool. <laughs> so the funny thing is, Mara, you haven't listened to the last season, but uh, uh, Kat was uh, scientifically engineered in a lab by a character, uh, and then it was meant to be a boss fight, and then I believe, I want to say Laura's character decided to let Kat live. I believe so, yeah. You did pass without a trace. So the fact that Kat is even in this season whatsoever was just a joke about last season. Uh, and then it took on a life of its own. I didn't know Kat was going to survive the yeah, first episode. I, I I believe the choice last season was I could have my cool, uh, what was it, the axe baloney? Yeah, the yeah. Abal- the big abalone axe. And I was like, no, I'll leave it behind. I'll leave my big cool weapon. We'll, we'll sneak off and Kat got to live. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that that's just a wild roller coaster of uh, consequences that this show always is. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, coolest moment for you, Laura? I mean, I assume uh, you getting owned by the time cop was <laughs> up there. I mean, it it was the most dramatic thing I could have I, I that uh, that happened this season. It was I don't know. A lot of this got cut out in the edit. There was a lot of, I really wasn't sure in that recording whether to, I was like, yeah, I was real torn on that decision because I was like, I needed to understand what the consequences were and I wanted, I wanted to go down the route of Neelith is self-destructive with the level of trying to do what she thinks is right and like the only correct answer to that, I think, ultimately was to you know to for it to play out the way it did. But at first, like I didn't, I didn't know whether uh, I had to check with Austin and go, is is this going to mean just instant character death? Because I don't want instant character death right here. There's going to be a cooler <laughs> moment for that in a minute. But like, <laughs> yeah, because we've been planning the murder for months. <laughs> I, I wanted, I I wanted something that was like. Honestly, Austin, that was... I couldn't have hoped for a better consequence in that moment for just like, oh, oh fuck, this is perfect for where, what I'm trying to do with the character, hell yeah. <laughs> I also uh, have to say, Austin, thank you. I will refer to me doing horrible things to my players as them getting owned from now on. Uh, <laughs> thank you for saying that. Uh, someone got really got owned in the, your last episode. Uh. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Jesus Christ uh, Sorry Yeah she did though <laughs> So um, one question that has been posed a few times around uh, But was voiced by uh, uh, Sherazad um, Was for you Austin uh, So this was more about like Were people correct in assuming what the naming convention for the villagers was I think it's what p- people who were uh, the question is: Everyone in town named after people who claimed to be Jesus, <laughs> um, or and more importantly, did Austin have to look them up, or did he just offhand know all these weirdos when it came to the different uh, character uh, NPC character names that you had for the season, Austin? 
it hurts my feelings that people think I have to look these things up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, David David Lynch say more. No, I mean, <laughs> I feel like the name puzzle is a fun thing for the fans. It's no fun if I step in and you know, come on. If 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 you're trying to solve, it's a fun uh you know ARG for you. Uh, in the Discord or wherever, come on, you have confidence in your guesses. Yeah, yeah, my, my, my yeah, I might. I remember people. Were, I remember doing like a mild thing with naming conventions uh, on my end for a while. Uh, people assuming that Voya's name was. I, I unfortunately broke whatever naming convention you had for the NPCs with Voya there, Austin. So that was a weird, a little bit of a touch on there too. Well, I mean, that always happens when I have these things set two years in advance and then you give me an NPC. That's why, you know, you give me an NPC like, you know, before we start or midway through the campaign, which is always like, oh, God, now we have this new horse. What are we going to name them? Fuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I really liked if, if they are right about. Yeah, if, if that's what the connection is, I, I really like that because I just uh, I felt like a lot of the. I felt like this season was really defined by characters with strong personalities mm-hmm. and that you really did a good job making the, the characters in Grendel feel like real people who yeah. have different kinds of personalities. And uh, I think that a lot of the character conflict came about to, uh, like, uh, repeatedly brought us all to a place where we felt like, God, these characters think so highly of themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the idea that all of them... Uh, and that because that's just how you f- like feel about people when you're in social conflict with them. It's not actually like literally a, a common theme throughout the village. It's just diff- they're just different people. And um, yeah, that that was uh, yeah. That, I thought that worked. I appreciate that. I think about play. You know, not just D and D. I was gonna say uh, thinking about D and D, but I guess all tabletop games is often the NPCs can feel like they're just kind of around to give you information and then acquiesce to your desires. They're like, "I'm a little potion vending machine. Here's your potion, sir." Uh, so when they start oh, getting sweet, a- they start getting uppity with you, I feel like a lot of people's natural reaction is like, "Who the fuck do you think you are? You get you give me swords. That's your role in life. You're a sword." machine shut yeah. up I, i'm stealing right. the character yeah. idea austin so we got sentient potion vending machine with strong political opinions done okay perfect character <laughs> uh bethany turner at delta star asks what do you think made this season run so much longer than all previous seasons which are never more than 38 episodes that's a mystery um, I mean, it's a very common misconception that that was on purpose. I, it's never been my intention to make them all 38 episodes. That's just how long it takes to characterize four main characters and their, you know, surrounding environment. <laughs> that's just that's how it yeah. usually turns out. Uh, the, when we had the big cast shakeup, not only did we then have to characterize and explore, you know, Philippa, but then Cat and then Nobi. <laughs> and it's just like well, a bunch of characters got added in the middle, and then we to do them justice, we just needed more space and time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that it just the math works is every additional character that you want the audience to care about requires like X hours of investment. I, I think on top of that, I would note that like there's a couple of opportunities where choices occurred for a sh- for a quick solution and a lengthy solution, and we always pick the lengthy solution. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But there's also just, this season, I think more than most previous seasons, involved big moral questions and a very tight-knit group of NPCs who were going to have differing opinions we were going to have to balance. 
And I think that led to a higher number of episodes of, we're just going to talk about morality for a bit. Oh, I mean, the question that begins Plato's The Republic is, what is justice? Uh, if we're talking about size of moral question, and you know, the whole story, like the entire rest of the text brings Socrates through um, uh, education, policing, uh, governance, um, the economy, imperialism, uh, the, the the right to rule, a weird eugenics plan he comes up with. It's a big question. I think I just wanted to say when you said like they're big moral questions, it's one of the singular, like the, one of the original big questions of philosophy. Agreed. Yeah. Another question from Bethany Turner is also uh, related. It says, strong parallels between seasons eight and three. Isolated isolated setting, early departure of a player, arrival of a new one, player as an endgame boss, etc. How cognizant of these parallels were you all and how did they affect the way you approached it both as players and as DM? I can say from my perspective, not only was it uh, deliberate, it was... It was extremely, uh, like, a huge focus. Like, the whole point of it yeah. to me was we explored, uh, you know, prison and, like, imprisonment in season three, but not how people get to prison, mm -hmm. which is through the cops. Uh, we were kind of uncritical in that. And so it was an attempt. Yeah. I mean, literally the mirrors uh, that were so important to season three ended up as a weapon in the Henry Boss fight. Yeah. Um, it was it was 100% deliberate. I... I I would say that, like, I very much played um, Neelith as the absolute polar opposite of early season three Valtari in terms of um, feelings about it, anything is justified so long as it gets gets the result. Fuck the people involved, because like early early Valtari was very deliberately like. I will lie, I will I will fabricate friendships with people to make them think that I'm on their side so that they'll give me information. Like, I love Veltari. Veltari is wonderful. Veltari at the start of season three is the most cop-ass cop you could imagine. Just like, fucking, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I have to to get, get shit out of you. I didn't want to do that again in small town policing morality season, and I definitely steered away from that. <laughs> Yeah, in my case, the contrast between Roland and Aze is very interesting because they're both very sad boys in their own right, uh, but for very different reasons. Um, Roland as a, as basically kind of a former cop slash still kind of a cop sort of vibe is weird because I also just did not... I Episode one, like the first episode or two of season three was me being presented with... Was Roland being presented with do the cop thing and Roland's like... No, fuck that shit. Um, and, but all the time, the difference between Roland Aze for me as a character standpoint was that um, I had Roland act as someone who always kind of felt like an outsider, who always kind of felt like someone from outside the community and wasn't of the community ever, even leading to the point that at the end of season three, he just leaves. Spoiler. <laughs> um, whereas with Aze, um, I think it was just very important that despite that he wasn't born in Grendel, that a lot of his attitudes came from the fact that he was a resident of Grendel through and through, which informed a lot of how he viewed just the concept of policing, quote unquote, because clearly he was never he was never comfortable with the concept of like having power over his peers like that. And that led to 
one of the inter the inter the intra party conflict between sometimes him and Slime and sometimes him and Nobi and the like. And I think that was uh it was I was happy to explore that side of it in a way that I couldn't have with Roland back in season three. Also, just. Uh, just a mm-hmm. quick side note. Apparently, putting us in tiny little village uh, seasons forces me to whatever whoever I'm playing as a character has to end up bonding with uh, Skitch's character. That's just how it works. <laughs> it's also why I decided to do uh, uh, a much uh, darker flump. That was a deliberate choice as well because the flump from season three unimpeachably lawful good would never do anything mm-hmm. uh, underhanded and shady in a million years mm-hmm. uh, i actually started my re lesson with season three um and so uh it was really weird because i was like well as in i listened to season eight to catch up for where i was going to jump in and then i was like i'll go back and then i decided to go in at season three uh because it's when laura joined and um and then i was immediately struck by how similar they were it was really weird mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um Elderly Goose, aka Sam K at Elderly Goose on Twitter asks, Are you surprised with the reaction to the event? The event. And did, you expe- <laughs> and did you expect some blowback from fans of those characters? I never even saw it. I didn't even log on. <laughs> I I I expected blowback. I didn't necessarily expect the intensity of it. It it was very short lived, but very bright in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I was, yeah. I remember just how loud it was, and then it dissolved after a couple of very appropriate pointed comments about what was going on. And did people appreciate how much I really wanted to eat Nobi? I never looked. <laughs> Yes. They did. They loved it. I'm so glad. Yeah. I mean, it's all I wanted to do. It was just make him suffer. I had so many plans. Uh huh. <laughs> I was going to like, I was trying to find a way of like, maybe I could control, dominate a person him and then make him go to sleep and then torture him in his dream, mm-hmm. making a giant Neelith cook him into all of her dishes. Or, you know, we were going to cut off his legs and make him eat his own legs and watch us eat his legs. Or we were all just going to rip them apart and I was going to use massive jests that we all just like rip them apart alive and eat them like a zombie. Yeah, I guess for the record, uh, when Kat killed Nobi, we did off like what was I think it might have been on mic. But you know what I'm saying? Basically say like, is everyone okay with this? Because this is going to take that kind of stuff off the table. And we did agree. So it's not like Sophie said, no, Mari, you can't be a sick little monster. Yeah. I didn't mean to imply that. I was just excited no, no, to no. at least yeah. have someone know my plans. Yeah. I you know it's. I I think your plans were fantastic, but I also think there was something very interesting about an entire episode of building up to slime finally going. Okay, I won't just do this killing out of nowhere, only for someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm, it was be- beautiful, beautiful storytelling. It, it wasn't about the eating. I just wanted him to suffer more. You know, it's like yeah. No, I like the moment and everything. I'm just saying, in my mind, revenge is like torture and like making them suffer for a long time. And when you want to solve a problem, you just kill them. And I think Cat did the right thing. They were just solving a problem. 
I got I got a question here from uh, Sophie at Sophie from Mars. Yeah, why is Sophie allowed? Why is Sophie allowed? Really, that's the only question we have to ask here. Why? <laughs> I'll say uh, the fan backlash uh, was shit. Yeah, that's the end of my comment. It was shit. That was a shitty way to behave. There you go. Yeah. yeah. What do they do? I, I'll I'll put it this way: you're allowed to not like a character's death. Um, to as I said with season six, to ascribe real world morality to a person for a storytelling choice is not okay. I would like to say the next person who does that, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> well, uh, your username is attached. I know how to find IP addresses, and I'm coming for you. <laughs> I don't know what you they did, but whatever it is, that's an eating offense. <laughs> the day oh. after Neilis murder episode is posted, I lost ten percent of my income. So Ooh. that's how it affected me. Yeah, mm. Jesus Christ. Um, I I I I will say, and I said this at, at at the time, and I'll say it again now. Um, when Sophie came to me with that as a as a thing that was on the table, I I was really in interested in making that happen and i knew it was going to be a painful and very difficult thing to play out but i also thought the way the season was panning out was that we had done a lot of talking about the nature of what or what is or is not justice and policing and nobody had been built up in such a way that not only did that feel like an important step for you know making a lot of the theoretical conversations we've been having with the show that season tangible and like oh we actually have to not talk about these in the th theoretical but i also thought to a degree it was the only way that neelith's story was gonna go anywhere that would have been a satisfying conclusion for the self-destructive lengths to which she was dedicated to one idea of justice and yeah, I, I knew it was going to be tough. It was tough for me. I mm -hmm. uh, This is my first character death on Dice Funk, and it's one that I knew was coming, that I sort of prepped for. Still hit me like a truck, but I still think it was genuinely the best way to tackle head-on the problem that was Nobi and the, the practical question that Nobi raised. I mean, you remember the conversation where uh, Nobi was, was clearly realizing like feeling out the situation for what kind of power he had over Neelith and and Neelith was unaware because Laura was unaware you were you were unaware yeah. of what the thing was and I think that was a, such a fascinating and incredible moment yeah. I yeah because yeah. like I don't know how I can't remember how much of that made it to air but there was a moment where Sophie was playing Nobi as like sincerely trying to work out the like you know, trying to trying to gauge Neelith in that way. I I've talked about this a little bit. I I I attempted to play um, Neelith as autistic. I I wrote some coding. I put some you know coding of the character there. I as the autistic player did not catch on that nobody was being <laughs> insincere. Like, and I was like, no, that's perfect. I I think that that is the character is not picking up on this is the correct choice here. It was really cool. I, like it was just a. I felt bad for a, mo a moment because I I didn't want you to miss out on what was going on in the show or to regret decisions or whatever. But like actually the obliviousness like worked 
absurdly well uh, in the lead up to all of that. I, I want to yeah. just say for a minute about the the policing discussion that um, there are really two sides to consider, and, and Laura has already, I think, really eloquently described the one side, which is uh, uh, dealing making people understand the tangible consequences of bad police. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, furthermore, <laughs> p- police. Um, and uh, I wanted, because I have already said, I viewed the central question of this season to be about, to be what is justice? Um, and we'd already had one episode, one entire episode where we all just debated like different systems of justice and how they should work. And I realized through that episode that like all being, uh, all being left-leaning people here, like our responses to it were all a little bit like, what if the police held your hand? That would be the best way. (laughs) And, um, and it made me realize that that was kind of all our characters. We'd all kind of like, um, I mean, not not the, not for the concept of slime but certainly an execution like the party had consistently landed on the side of like the the solution is for everything to be really nice and um i thought i thought to myself what is a character who these characters would not be able to say i don't want them to be punished uh, and that was the that was the most important thing for me was was how do I come up with a character who, uh, like, once I was off of Philippa and choosing someone else, I was like, how do I make a character now who will actually test the limits of what we all consider to be justice if we're all like, no, 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 don't punish people for doing anything wrong? And I was like, well, the answer's simple. A cop, right? The, the, thi- <laughs> the person that we all would, like, want to be punished for doing something horribly wrong is a cop, like a cop, how cops exist for real, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. everything just started sliding into place and, and making sense. And 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 yeah, Austin had already built the character of Nobi a little bit there, and it just it just made a lot of sense. And I had already been basically before Philippa was elected, I was uh, sorted. Uh, I was uh, already very into the idea of Nobi being like a comic relief character who had essentially the same presence, like the 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 kind of like uh lovey dovey moist watcher going around solving everything with with rainbows and and sunshine and nobi is tagging along being you know be, being nobi but like with no power and then like the opportunity for him to have power came up and then from then on every decision about the character was informed by what is wrong with the modern specifically american but definitely the london metropolitan as well uh police force and other police forces and so for example take the quarry uh i realized the opportunity there because um because the training that police receive uh from dave grossman the, the killology lectures mm. uh, are essentially a brutalization process where they are taught that the world is a really terrifying place like if you contrast this to Amer- uh, like uh, mir- military training uh when people are trained for combat they're trained to be as calm as possible and be able to assess everything rationally and furthermore to try if, if it is if it is at all possible to avoid or de-escalate combat yep. rather than to escalate and uh, American police are taught the exact opposite that the world is a terrifying place and you can only make it safe by killing everything you consider a threat and um, and and that's 
that's yeah that's the ideology motivating motivating this stuff and when when you think about what that process is in terms of what dave grossman is doing in those lectures to the police is turning their fear and rage and impotence into a weapon more powerful than their guns or their tanks or their tear gas and uh i and when i was thinking all that over uh i was like wait a minute we're in a season where there are nightmare monsters who uh, who possess you if you're sad and lonely and angry and feel impotent and Nobi is all of those things so what if he goes to the therapist and asks the therapist to turn his all his bad feelings into something that will make him powerful yeah yeah it's one of those things that as soon as as Sophie put the idea on the table with Neelith as the suggestion I was like if that's a story to be told, Neelith, I feel like, is the perfect person it, that people will have strong emotions about that happening to, because that is exactly the kind of person that, you know, a Nobi-style cop yeah, yeah. would feel vicious. Yeah, yeah. Neelith is exactly the kind of person that a, uh, a Nobi-style cop would fucking hate, mm-hmm. and exactly the kind of person who, you know... It hurts to see be a victim of that kind of system. Yeah, and like on Aze's side as well, I also uh, like I kind of have a thing, I guess, where uh, sometimes I I react to I I think a lot of players. Uh, this isn't meant as a criticism of sketch. This is a pattern I've noticed across like many, many, many players who I've played with that like uh, people will role play as if violence between player characters can just be can just happen and then just be completely forgotten, which is very kind of melodramatic. And um, and so Aze slapping Nobi uh, was an example of where, something that I always like to apply whenever I'm role-playing, which is that, like, if one character, like, physically attacks my character, then that isn't a... a a relationship situation that is going to be resolved without some kind of consequence. Um, not to saying, no, it sounds like I'm saying I hold a grudge over it, but it's that I'm saying, it's that I'm saying like, I think it, I, I, I want to, when that kind of thing happens, I want, the, it would be poor role playing on my part for me to just be like, and now Nobi's like, sorry, says sorry to everyone and everything's fine. It, But it's much more realistic role playing if you, yes and it and you say what does this do to my character Mm -hmm. as a person what direction does it drive them in right right i also think that there are some other like i wouldn't say they were necessarily pre-designed or predetermined but there's a lot of interesting parallels with like aze and nobi throughout a lot of things after that aze constantly putting himself into his own nightmare as a coping mechanism which the back end of that wasn't fully explored on air, but it's okay that it wasn't. But the long-term goal was him instead of Nobi, who was intentionally trying to foster those bad feelings to the power that was, Ozzy was, was more just coping and working through his own internal thoughts to come to terms with what has happened in the past and reach a comfort point with it. Um, so it was interesting seeing like the mixture of those different, uh, Developments. Then also, just like um, I think it was just it's it was there's just there's just a lot of really just great uh, things about Novi as a character to just sort of incite action out of everyone else um, through what they did. So 
Anyway, Neelith is a perfect bean who's going to get a spin-off season that's just a happy <laughs> coffee shop AU. I have to say, do you think our audience is too young to to get a reference to Frank Serpico? I feel like I'm, I'm so <laughs> old. I'm so old and yeah. crusty now. But I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about the the parallels too. I mean, if you may be familiar with the Al Pacino movie Serpico that was made about this person who was a detective, I believe in New York in the 70s, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, "Oh shit, all these cops are extremely corrupt." And then he went to like, yeah. you know, the, his superiors and like, "Everyone's <laughs> corrupt." And they're like, "Yeah, duh, we're all corrupt. What are you doing?" <laughs> and then he went to the media and was like, "All the cops are corrupt." And they're like, "We'll look into it." And then his other uh, officers are like, "Hey, bud, you want to come into this ambush where you get shot yeah. in the fucking yeah. brain yeah. Um, and yeah. that yeah. to me I mean I don't think it was intentional but that felt like very like Neela's whole thing is here's what happens to good people who try to do well, this profession I th- th- there's a thing I've heard many times that I think was why I felt comfortable about doing this is there's no such thing as a good cop because the good cops don't last yeah 100%. because anyone who does try and stand up to the fucked up systematic systems of policing Either ends up not a police officer or not alive. Like you don't, you don't stick around if you do that. This is a much more minor version. Um, uh, but my like my grandfather was so my mum's side of the family are police, and this is a, like knowledge of this. You're um, half police. <laughs> oh, both, both both my parents are cops. I come from a two cop household. Right. <laughs> Hundred percent cop. <laughs> uh, uh, my mum's side of the family, a lot of them are cops, and um, and so a lot of sort of inside knowledge related into this stuff. Uh, my 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 uncle has told me a, a a very like hyped story that he was excited to tell, as if he's a, a Rambo, um, about him uh, beating the shit out of a uh, someone he'd arrested, um, and uh, my grandfather was a like desk sergeant. Uh, who had superiority over everyone else in the department for like over a decade uh, without any promotions and he knew it was because he wasn't in the Freemasons and he couldn't join the Freemasons because his mother was devoutly Catholic and so he waited until she died and then he joined the Freemasons and then he became the chief superintendent uh, within a year and um, and then he was the, the like... Uh, Police chief in, in involved in like um, uh, what the fuck is the name of that riot? But there's a there's a there was a riot under Thatcher that he was like the chief uh like sieging uh like the, the the papers reported on him having like a siege mentality in it and it's just like this kind of shit like the way that like uh uh it seems it seems almost metaphorical to me the way that he 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 joined the Masons. And then, like, the police tactics that were on display from him were such brutal ones that it feels like, um, it feels representative of, like, the system won't let you have uh, any kind of difference from its extremely corrupt, extremely violent, extremely insular, and extremely nepotistic, and uh, designed that way, to be clear. It's not a bug, it's a feature. It's the purpose of police to protect uh, private property and white supremacy. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I have to say that I I think we were lucky that Sophie did show up, because if you hadn't, I feel like this season might have ended up uh, being like, all cops are bastards except for our diverse group of <laughs> great people who just yeah. want the best. Um, they say the next it, ones will be sent by a, uh, an autistic squid. Doesn't it make you feel like part of history? 
Uh huh. But the way this ended was you killed a suspect you had in custody, and then you all voted that they shouldn't face consequences. So we 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 all we all agreed on hey, look, there's no consequences for murdering a cop. It's fine. Yeah, but also. Why do we have to live this non-human society by human standard? Clearly, humans haven't figured it out either. Exactly. Maybe just killing them is the right thing. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe the goblins, that they're like, yeah, makes sense. I still maintain that direct democracy, with the exception of fuck around and find out, is good <laughs> goblin law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still happy to somehow take my bullshit astrology and somehow turn it into a way to analogize anarchism as a valid way of going things by <laughs> by things i that was very spur of the moment when that came out too it was just i was very proud of that moment <laughs> i like i love this the constellation metaphor you used a few times i that it was really really nice uh i really like the idea you know these patterns don't exist when you look at a st- stars stars are things that are uh, cold and dead and and you don't see them until long after they've existed and they exist thousands of or millions and trillions of light years apart in space and they'll never know each other exist but when you look at them you see a pattern in them and that's that's what you know communities i really like that that was born out of an idea i posed to austin in early development because i was slightly inspired by sui Koden's treatment of the 108 stars of destiny and this idea of not only were the stars above and below important but the people around were stars in of themselves and the formations that they make act as constellations unto themselves, which I felt that Austin sort of took and leaned into as Voya's sort of ritual that she was trying to cast at the end of the season. Uh, a big shot goose at tales world one asks, uh, Mari, is this your first D and D campaign? If so, how do you think it went? Um, it's not my, First one, but it's the first one I actually like finished and took seriously because all <laughs> the other times um, I would get overstimulated because I would in an environment I didn't like, but apparently just sitting in my room by myself, that's enough. I'm good. And I was really invested because I was like, I'm definitely going to not put all of my psychological issues into this character. And then I did. That's very relatable. Yep. <laughs> And uh, it was really cathartic, and I liked it, and I took it really personally when Austin kept killing my children to hurt me on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) You botched. You botched repeatedly. It has to. Okay. You you actually succeeded, and Mold made it to the end. Mold is, uh, I mean, I feel like by all rights, you should have had to kill Mold. I really went out of my way for you to kill just a little bit of him. No, I think my determination as a mother mass really should have said something you know like i i didn't matter how many times i tried you know i tried brainwashing him out of love Um, (laughs) and you know finally obviously the answer i was like this thing wants love what a dog (laughs) Duh. and it worked um, so so many of these are just like how dare you um, We have, there are like three or four of them that are just what's your favorite NPC and why is it Squelcher <laughs> um, Squelcher is the only is the only character that can do no wrong and is perfect and that never did a thing wrong in their life ever mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. the Squelcher was still mutilated horribly 
Yeah, but he's a zombie, so yeah. it doesn't really bother him. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's... Oh, hey, I just heard a, heard a ping. I heard a ping, too. Ooh. I'm good. I didn't want to interrupt. I, I was just going to be quiet. Oh, my God. I know this voice. This is this cool person of this podcast I listen to. Oh, yeah. It's that cool person. Yeah, they're very cool. Well, you're, you're going to have to be clear. You're going to have to be clear because everyone on this podcast is very cool. Oh, well, Aww. the coolest person of all, it's Chris. <laughs> Except Austin. This is <laughs> the most self-indulgent episode we do. Let's just make it as insufferable as possible. <laughs> I'm currently looking at myself in a mirror and preening. Yeah, I got I got a question. So this is uh, this is a simple one from uh, Brown Wolf uh, Wolf Conduit of Theories on Discord. Uh, this one actually is about the genius. Um, is you don't have to answer this in any depth if you don't want to, Chris. Why did the genius of Grendel seemingly refuse to eat in front of anyone? Was there a ra- uh, an actual reason for that, or did you? So, so, so you're gonna uh, have to uh, forgive me because uh, my brain is basically <laughs> uh, that thing you drain spaghetti pasta water out of. Like it's just holes. Colander so leaks out. Yeah, you drink I don't. I, I learned the name at some point. Yeah. Yeah, but drink it. Yeah. Y- Explain more. Drain. About that. I th- I think I think mm. they say drain. Oh. Mm. Yeah, drain. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I theoretically you could bottle it and drink it. I suppose. I, I imagine somebody out there's tried it. Uh, I believe, if I remember right, the logic behind it was that the genius was slowly replacing all of themselves with cybernetics and no longer needed to eat anymore and that was going to be like a reveal later down the season ah uh but i'm not 100 I mean, percent on all the details that, on that, that had always that had always been my assumption was machine machine don't really need to eat classic they them trait <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this this is a this is another one that's related to both austin and chris um and it's a little bit of a season five throwback uh this is from oh geez Alaros conduit of anxiety uh, was the machine always intended to be the baby box from season five? Whose idea was it to have it be that? Was that something that Austin and Chris consulted on, or was that just Austin? That was 100% me. Uh, you were trying to decide between a couple of different warlock patrons, I believe. You were like, should I be this one or this one? And I was like, well, if you're the machine, I already have an idea for it. Um, I didn't tell you right away what that was, and you said, okay, cool. And then later, I was... Um, I, th- I think at some point I said to you what it was, but it was I didn't tell you right away. Yeah, it may have even have been after I left the season. I didn't even know at that point. I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, it might have been when, when, when you decided to go. I was like, all right, well, here's the thing. The machine's the baby box <laughs> that Laura made, and here's uh, so it has time-bending powers, um, you know, so here's how we can get you out of the season and send you into the future with it. I'm... I'm so happy that my my dumb little one shot had consequences. Hell yeah, <laughs> Dice Funk Babies is canon. I, Austin, I love this pair of questions from Advanced Lesbianot, uh, Lesbianot, Lesbianics. Just because what well, Advanced Lesbianics is a great name, but uh, these are both questions about two of the villagers, Austin. I don't think you need a elaborate answer. One, what? Where did Marina get all those drugs? And secondly. Why did Apple White import the Tum Tums? I just like those the question phrasing. There was emphasis in there. Yeah, I mean, people who come to the village uh, try to bring valuables to trade for like guides up the mountain or equipment to get up the mountain, and some people bring drugs. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, if I was going to the new world, the the fucking brand new dimension that was created by gods for people to enjoy, I'm not trading my drugs away. What? <laughs> fucking Some people don't have anything I'm, else. I'm pressing the button right now. Fuck I, that. I will, Immersion I ruined. Will... I will on the opposite side suggest if you live in a little tiny remote mountain village with absolutely nothing to do cut off from the rest of the world, you'd probably give adventurers way above market odds for their drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Okay. You got me. Absolutely. Also, the tum-tums were imported for pest control because they can sniff all the insects and all their color gets drained out. Look at you having answers. One person asks, uh, uh, Lemon Dragon 234 throughout this question is more like a general lore question of what counts as a plane now? Because we have like the old world, the new world, the gray, and like the dreaming dark as like locations, but planes, as they traditionally have talked about, don't exist anymore. Is that correct, Austin? Yeah, I guess it depends on your definition of plane. I, I, so the gray is, you know, from one thing from D&D and the Dalcor is from another one, Eberron, you know. Uh, so it's they're not really compatible and they're not in the world tree anymore. If you care about the deep lore, uh, none of them are really planes in the traditional sense, but they'll work for like sp- the spells that like, you know, transport me to another plane like that. They'll work that way because, you know, I want those spells to still work. But um I wouldn't consider like a you know the old world and the new world planes. They're just locations. Ooh, I I did just see another question from Advanced Lesbianics. Um, uh, would Neelith have gained any powers if the Ceramorphosis had succeeded? Uh, yes. I'm trying to remember what it would have been because I believe it was going to be a power that was going to very specifically make it much harder for Nobi to have any chance of uh, killing Neelith. Um, <laughs> I believe the power was like the the one that I remember is um being able to sense um what was it being able to being able to sense uh, all thoughts or real intentions in a certain radius or something like something that was going to allow Neelith to be like oh I can feel that that. That evil sheep fucking coming. Yeah, we looked at the the flump stat block and we took uh, the abilities flumps naturally have. They don't have many. They're not very strong. But it was like you can't be taken by surprise. Yeah. You can't have your your mind read and stuff like that. If you just look in the monster manual and see what flumps do, you were going to add those to your character. Basically, Neelith would have known if Nobi was coming. And that's that's the main one that I remember being like, yeah, this 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 could be a thing. I realized that Neelith, as a character who floats off the ground, doesn't eat normal food, and has telepathy, uh, in the process of planning to murder Neelith, I realized Neelith is like a practically murder-proof uh, creature, <laughs> except for just good old-fashioned horrible violence. Uh, I was like, maybe I just poison Neelith, or maybe maybe maybe, maybe like Nobi shoves her off something, and I was just like, none of that works. <laughs> It was real convenient for you that Neelith suddenly had access to zero powers. Yeah. Yeah, And was completely (laughs) defenseless for a bit. That really really helped things out somewhat. Someone in the Twitter replies asked, Will Chris come back? Never. Wait. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That'd be up to Austin, wouldn't it? You're the... You're the... The Lord if it was up to me, the... you never would have left. I would have kept you in my tower, oh. like Rapunzel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I would say uh, never say never. 
uh, in like the classic wrestling sense, like maybe I'll come back for one more match. But the, the more logical answer is like, yeah, if my schedule frees up at some point and uh, I, I feel the urge to, to play again, sure. I do have a character idea. It's a trash can that's actually populated by a dozen mice that are puppeting it <laughs> and it just vomits out old eggs, just old eggs on people. It's going to be a reflavored Druid. Um, but instead of turning into animals, just vomit out eggs on people. So I just got to give it like a sad backstory. It's ready to go. Every couple of days, Chris sends me one of these ideas. Just like, what if uh, a teddy bear had feelings and they were all bad and it cried? And it never, it, <laughs> they it, were all bad feelings. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, are you are you okay? It's like you have a bad day at work. Robot from uh, the Galaxy's Guide to the Universe or something like that. What? What? what Hitchhiker's Guide. Mart. Yeah, the paranoid android. No, the sad one. Yeah, his name is Marvin, the paranoid android. Oh, I didn't know that. The My sad bad. robot. <laughs> is there anything? Is there anything you were thinking about, Chris? I don't know if you're looking at the questions. I assume you're not. I I'm not in the Discord. The only question I think I saw was something about why I left, and I wanted to keep it vague and mysterious to create rumors and controversy. They had to save the world. No, <laughs> no, it's mostly just you know schedule changes and burnout. We should start beef, though. I think it'd be good for both of our careers. Uh-huh. Yeah, you left because of drama between you and Austin. Publicly, we riff back and forth. Privately, Austin is just mean, just just a bully, <laughs> so cruel. Are you uh, exposing him as an abuser? I was say, Chris, we should just make a, a rival organization and then try to poach talent, but it, but then it create it rises up to like a cross uh, organization promo. Uh, and then I get to like break into his house and throw him out a window, and then I spray paint my name on his door or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds pretty. Well, my, underst- that- my understanding of wrestling conventions: if you do come back at the end of your career, you have to lose. Uh, it depends where you're in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and who you know. <laughs> oh, okay. That doesn't seem fair. I thought this is all in the up and up. <laughs> uh, you know, in in a, a perfect world, it would be. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, uh, Chris, that uh, Kaboom and Kablam were amazing, and uh, just, just uh, they were, they were perfect. And I got fucking smacked in the face with Wild Magic so many times. Uh, it was perfect. All right, so oh, that was excellent. Wild Magic's the best. It should be in everything. Wild Magic is. Wild Magic should be in everything. I won't do Wild Magic. You, you took Wild Magic. During the re-listen, when I heard about when I heard the bit where Wild Magic created the Bozogs, I kept thinking about uh, what if Wild Magic created and entirely destroyed a new creature at the same time. Like that seemed like a, a plausible role that could happen on the show, and just an entire race like blink in and out of existence, uh, and it's just never mentioned again. Oh, I thought you meant like when the Bozogs were created, just like all antelopes disappeared. Oh my <laughs> it was equivalent, equivalent exchange. <laughs> <laughs> the, cha- the chaos, the chaos exchange occurs. Mm, this is sufficient. Antelopes are no more. Tragically, antelopes have really pleasant voices. Yes. <laughs> Discord loves the antelopes' voice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> antelopes actually sound just like Skitch. That's the thing. Do they really? Or are we making this up? 
I, I, I always get flattered when anyone says about they like the way my voice sounds. <laughs> Anyways. Um, uh, oh, gosh. I, I see a question that's already been answered multiple times. Mari, what thing made you the most worried during the season? And it's... <laughs> And a lot of things because I was like, "Ooh, I get to integrate with Sun, Moon, Stars. <gasps> if she dies, she's done forever. Oh my god!" <laughs> and then, um, like when we were all killing all of my children, and I was like, "And then it turns out I didn't even need to take over the the puffball slimes. I could have just defeated their husks, and they would have just walked away." So, you know, I brainwashed them for no reason. And <laughs> <laughs> Then I had to eat my son and watch them be burned alive. Uh, it was cool, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing about slime mold reproduction, right? Did you, uh, did, I don't know. This is just a decision you made. Is that like anytime your cells split into new individuals, you think of them as like your children, the way humans think of children. I think of it like they're pretty genetically similar. Are they more like twins? Yeah, but like because... Slime's trying to integrate into society, and they do feel uh, feelings for their, like, uh, for their colonies. I guess that's the best way for them to explain it. It's like, I love that colony because that colony is me and a part of me, but not me. And it's my responsibility. Lloyd Satan 666 asks, was there any possible way to see the Yokoi village before it got destroyed? You can imagine it. <laughs> I mean, yes, if, if what got the village destroyed is mold. And so if Mari had played uh, a goblin who wasn't a fucking slime mold who did the things it did, yeah, the, the Yokai village wouldn't have been destroyed. Shouldn't have had my titty fly off. <laughs> I think we all learned a valuable lesson about misplacing our titties. Yeah, it should have went off and found that titty. I have a question. How how much thought did like went into uh, killing the Yokai village in that case? To elaborate on that, like uh, that seems like a big thing. Um, so that's a good question. I mean, I knew there were Yokai around. I think I said before I picked Yokai because they're just a kind of thing that from mythology that are associated with mountains. And I was thinking about how to use them. Um, but just because the show got so shaken up near the beginning, I had to jettison a lot of stuff I had planned. Planned is strong. Ideas I had, I guess. And, and so we had to like have a whole arc about the genius leaving, a whole arc about Philippa arriving. And then we spent all the time on, you know, Nobi and Kat. And so just we never got back around to the Yokai stuff. And so it was easier to just jettison it. Um, I like I had ideas that could have gone places, but also I'm not precious about uh, destroying <laughs> my ideas throwing them out you know so uh reuse them in some form yeah the the question i read earlier was from cynic 84 my apologies for not stating before um there's a question from michael uh hashtag stop the shock uh michael wayne which is with the parent child energy that was coming from the tail end of the season was there a favorite parent child moment in the season I loved when uh, Slime said, whatever you want to do, Kat, I'm against it. Don't you dare rebel. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Uh, all I can think of right now is is the, I think, third, whatever the final time was where Arze started to float off again, right, right near the end of the finale. I, I, I liked having a nice little bookend of it's uh, it's okay it's okay dad I got you it's fine it's, 
I know you can't stay on the ground. It's cool. <laughs> Constant wild magic shenanigans there. Oh, <laughs> uh, wild magic. Yeah, I was absolutely not expecting like that to become as big of a thing. But oops, Ozzy suddenly a parrot now happens, and yeah, it's it's that that relationship being that way, I think, was very useful for sidestepping some of the this this character has come into existence two minutes ago. What what's going on? It's like ah, it's fine. I'll stick him with another character, and there's an inbuilt connection because obviously that's the the problem you get. Otherwise, is like ah, this is a season about characters that know each other and have all these interpersonal connections and one of them has come into being midway through a narrative arc where there's not really time to slow down and chat to people but it was it it was nice to to build from there as a style i i i will say that was just also a case of just like the the prop the propositions given this narwhal unicorn is effectively Aze's child and Aze, and i'm just like sure why not let's go with it and that was a, a very fun one. I um, it was very interesting to see the multitude of pa- uh, parental relationships being demonstrated because we had that, we had slime, and all the stuff. We had cat's relationship with uh with mold, which was his own sort of parent child thing. We had uh obviously Voya and Ozzy as a thing, and Enri and Ozzy as another thing. We had, uh, shoot, what was the other one that I was trying to think of? Oh, yeah, then Philippa and Nobi, obviously. And it's just, like, a bunch of parent-child interactions and dynamics that were interesting to explore. So it was hard to pick, like, a single favorite moment. Cause huh, weird. It. it seems like we all have baggage. Huh, funny, yeah. weird, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, my baggage did not slip into my character designs. So that's kind of the frustrating thing. I, I, I feel frustrated I didn't bring that baggage in here. Damn it. I brought other baggage in, though. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen the Block Island Sound? It's really fucking good. Uh, <laughs> God, Block Island Sound. I, I, oh I there's, there was one thing that you brought up earlier, Austin, that you felt like that was important to bring up during this, and that was a little bit about, um, just some of the dynamics of Voya as a character, um, because that was something that there was a lot of like we both had different ideas about what she was going to be and kind of how that panned out. I, I mean, I never know what ideas other people have. Uh, other people's minds are unknowable, terrifying swamps of madness, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, you're right. When you said you had this character in your backstory, it's like, well, either they're going to show up or not. That's the first choice, and it seemed like it'd be interesting if they showed up. So when they if they show up, either they can be, you know, helpful, antagonistic, or somewhat neutral. Um, and it just seemed like we needed more antagonistic forces, but not outright villainous. And I think it all, it was interesting. I think, um, seeing people react to this, I wanted to do my own take on a lich, which I felt like I, you know, didn't fall into the expected (laughs) conventions of that kind of character. Uh, it was fun seeing, especially, uh, Laura's extremely uh, hostile reaction. I loved, I always love getting a reaction positive or negative because it shows you how you're invested in it. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you're a troll. <laughs> the, from, from my perspective, the 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 few things of note was I, I thought it was interesting that while I mentioned that there was an interesting naming parallel between Voya and the character Matoya from the Final Fantasy franchise, that is actually not where her name came from. Uh, 
because the idea I had for her from a backstory standpoint was simply that she was interested. She worked on the stars a lot. She was important to the village. And at one point she's like, I want to go see the stars above directly and not deal with these fucking inaccurate marks from notes from everyone else. Aze, I want you to take me up above and leave me there so I could study the stars directly. And so her name is actually a reference to the Voyager satellites that were just sent up to space and never returned. That's oh. kind of the idea. Oh. And so that's where that came from. Now, Aze's, Aze's name is a direct reference to Final Fantasy XIV because of the character and uh, the console in the deity. Um, Azima slash Azim is that's why Aze the Mystic, A Z E M, is a reference to Azim from Final Fantasy XIV, which is another layer of the um astrologian import i was doing on that front but voya was like no no she's just the a, a goblin satellite sent up above to finally observe the stars directly and not be burdened by being stuck in a job that everyone is keeping her in was sort of the idea that i had so it was interesting seeing how those ideas get sort of merged around and it plays into a bit of how collaborative storytelling works where it's not just on-air improv but it's also sharing of ideas and different layers of, you know, uh, yes anding that kind of breeds some really interesting character and story dynamics. A lot of that sounded really nerdy. Uh, Chris and I are jocks, so we didn't understand that. <laughs> um, what do you think about the Eagles making the playoffs? I didn't think they were going to do oh, it. God, it sucks. I forget there's people that it. know about sports and play D&D. You're not oh. allowed to do Shut both. Shut up, jock. I don't want to hear it. I think it's yeah. weird that you like sports. That's right. A girl just called you weird. What are you going to do? Freak out, probably? <laughs> I'm going to cry. I'm on I'm on Twitter here, and Demon Hunter at Tiger Alchemist asked me a question for Sophie and Laura. You two are the only people to come into a season partway through. What stresses and challenges did this add to joining the joining Dice Funk when you did? Um, and I just thought that was an interesting question, like comparing uh, Laura. What was it like when you joined season three? I, Maybe I'll relate. I I mean, the the main difference I think having done seasons of this show where I was there from the start and ones where I've had to jump in midway through is that you have to hit the ground running. Um, usually the pacing of a of a season is that those first couple of episodes will be getting to know your character, working your character out and fleshing them out a little bit as you go, working out their place in the dynamic over those first couple of episodes. But when you join in mid-season, you have to go, the story is already going, I have to have a clear idea of what my character is and why they're relevant and probably how they're going to fit into an existing narrative arc that is already happening. Yeah. And I find that that is like, that's both a pro and a con in that... You have a much firmer idea of what the story is you're fitting into, which can make it easy to be decisive about what your character should be. But like, it's gotta you've you've gotta define them real quick and get going with them. Yeah, that was definitely a challenge for me. I was really uh yeah, not sure what to do with the character uh of Philippa for a while. Like well, yeah, in the in the not that long <laughs> I don't know, like a, a week or a couple of weeks before I started recording. Um and uh, I remember both Austin and Skitch suggested I should play a ranger when I was first um, trying to come up with a character. Um, and I think that was more motivated by uh, what char- uh, what classes already exist in the party and who would fit in well in mechanical terms. And it just I, I just couldn't do that one because I just felt like 
the the challenge that would add on top of like trying to jump into a story that was already going and already had all these dynamics adding on top of that and it has to be this class was just like i i, I couldn't do that and, and then i ultimately decided to um answer to, to make a character that would allow me to answer the sort of question of the sh of the season a bit more directly so i was like okay maybe she's just an academic and so i'll have a kind of a, a good excuse to like basically just lecture people <laughs> about like what she thinks the the right justice system is yeah like i i think about season three um and about joining when i did there some of the choices I made very early on with Valtari's introduction are choices I don't think I'd have ever made for a character at the start of a season, but that you can make in a story that's already going. Like, um, the the little introductory clip we do the episode before Valtari comes in, where, um, off the cuff, I decide to suggest to Austin that Valtari has killed a lot of fucking people. Um, like, that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, yeah... I don't have to do the, hello, here's my character, they're a big murderer. Like, if you can jump into a story that's already going and just go, that's canon now, here we go, it's a slightly different way of playing it. <laughs> I think I was definitely compensating a little for the experience of season eight in the character I've planned for season nine. People will see when it, you know, when it airs, but like, uh, to say in a spoiler-free way, if people care about this, like, um... Basically, it's a character who is new to the world, just com like just completely new to existence, in a similar way to Basil, kind of thing. But like, I think I want to sort of exploring that concept a little more, like step by step and carefully. And um... <laughs> Basil came in with a lot of beliefs and a lot of yeah, lot of yeah, exactly. Things. I think <laughs> you should probably have less. Basil came on uh, strong, <laughs> and um, I'm definitely inspired by Slime in that. But also, like, I think I have been compensating for having to dive in very much in media res like, in this season. Well, I'll say in this season, in, in my defense, Basil, I very quickly had to work out like what their, what their deal was. And you can't like, uh, the, the thing with, mm, the thing with uh, picking up a new character, like more than halfway through and particularly where I did like in the midst of here is who did a murder arc there wasn't going to be time to carefully build that character. It needed to just be, okay, what are the like six events that Basil has ever experienced? Cool, we're going to we're going to run with those as defining uh moral worldview traits. Yeah. Uh I I think that with uh <laughs> it's you mentioned this before Laura, but it's just also kind of wild how like both in Valtari and like in Basil's case, like they're like getting attached to my characters in different ways, which is very fun. Was very interesting to see happen. I think with Basil in particular, with the way that played out was, um, I, I think it was it led me right of a question that someone threw out. Uh, Elsewhere. I will also just commend that both of you did a fantastic job of integrating very smoothly, it felt like, at least in terms of how the characters kind of settled in and how Thank you. You, you both I picked up that. on how things played out. Um, let me see here. I have a question elsewhere. Uh, okay. yeah, I mean, Veltari was the most popular character that season, and all anyone asked questions about was the event. So, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like that that was a very. I think that was that a different. I think we're talking about a different the event in that case, or was that a different one? Oh, several several different people have called it the event in the question thread. Look, I I assume if people mentioned the event, I'm assuming it's the bit where everyone, the very sweet character, got brutally murdered and everyone was sad. Oh, I I, I thought the, I thought this was a reference to season three stuff. That's all. Oh That's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. So. This is a uh, so uh, this is a small detail, but I think it was a, it's a fun one to unpack. Uh, Laura, yes. Uh, why slash when did you just decide to have Basil be non-binary slash trans? I've many times before on seasons of this show, in my own little in my own little thinking about characters, gone like yeah, that character's trans. And never really done. Sorry, I laughed because there was another BRB fart, a fart in the fucking chat. <laughs> um, I got slappy farts. That was me. So, Sophie. So yeah, I I've I've had characters before where I've been like, that's a thing I know about this character, and I've never really done much in the text text of the show with that. Um, like I think most notably, I wanted that to be a thing with Frank back in season season four, and just didn't get it to a point where I wanted to be like, yeah, that's that's kind of the character, and I think like at least a certain part of that was um being like. I didn't want to pigeonhole myself as like out trans person on show that's doing the trans characters like that. That that was a thing that for a while I was a bit like a little bit of self consciousness about about you know having canonically trans characters. Um, this season kind of just hit a fuck it point, and I don't know what it was this season where I was just like I knew for I knew from the start I was like I want to do something with with Illithid and. Bo- body stuff and 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 go from there because I wanted to do something interesting with with the squidling, but for for Basil it was a lot more just the key defining character trait I had for Basil at the start was has not really existent uh, the key defining character trait I had for Basil upon first introduction was doesn't really know anything about the world. And I played that a little for laughs. I played it a little for, um, okay, I'm gonna see, that's that's your response to morality? I'm gonna take that as a golden rule. But, like, I very quickly realised I didn't know myself what Basil's uh, personality traits, wants, desires, etc. were. I knew that the main way I was thinking about Basil as a character was hasn't really had a chance to discover anything other than what's right here right now in 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 front you know what what's right here right now and mm-hmm. i think that i wanted to set up basil as a character who was like hey i don't just not know the world i don't know what my i don't know what my deal is and i'm i'm going to work that out and i've been very deliberate about not, you know, I, I was very open with, with Neelith being like, Neelith is a trans woman character. Like, that is, that is, I'm defining Neelith that way. Basil, I've left deliberately ambiguous because I, you know, I feel like Basil is a character who, w- who wouldn't ever get around to finding that label. And I think that'd be okay. I think that Basil is a character who's 
very aware that time is short and experiences are many and broad and time is fleeting, so go with whatever's feeling right at the time and, and you know. It, 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 the whole epilogue was about her, like, trying to work out just just wanting to explore and experience, and I think that 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 was right for her. Don't you think it would have been weirder if a character just popped into existence sounding like a 40-year-old smoker and was just like, I've never been socialized into gender roles, but I have strong opinions already? That would have been weird, weirder, I think, actually. Yeah, right? Like, that's... <laughs> honestly, that's that's the thing, is like, hey, look, you, you, you put, pop someone into existence in... Like right, right in the middle of 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 life, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you haven't been taught all these weird rules. Fuck it. <laughs> I saw one question which was uh, which was directed at me, and I just thought it was an interesting question. I'll try and be concise because uh, it is late, and uh, I'm taking my girlfriend to get pottery lessons in the morning oh. from from my other girlfriend, and oh. um, uh, yeah, so I got it. Okay, uh, but this person asked. Um, which was my favorite character to play because I was playing three characters this season, um, and I, I've I've said this before, but like uh, I just I just liked all of them in, in totally different ways um, because I worked hard on trying to make all of the characters into people who I like like who I'm different from and and who don't directly you know who aren't just my like mouthpiece and uh, I would say that Nobi was the clearest success of that, but like Philippa I think was the maybe the like a, a subtler kind of success in, in that sense because like a lot of people I think thought that uh, as I said earlier I did originally write Philippa's character to just be a way for me to engage somewhat academically in a discussion uh, but because of who that character was when I found her voice properly I think I made her into yeah something something subtly different with different perspective on life than me yeah, I think Cat would be the one I most would want to be friends with. I love Cat in that way, and <laughs> she can do no wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously Nobi is one of the most hateable characters in the show's history. Uh, so that's also an accomplishment <laughs> in its own. Way. <laughs> love, love the characters. You did incredible work. Can't say enough about uh, you know elevating our our boner jokes into something more thoughtful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, are you trying to go for good vibes here? <laughs> what what kind of vibes are you interested in bringing? Do you just look at your vibes and feel maybe you were overdressed for these vibes? <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, good vibes. It's crazy. No, I, I had a, a really, really quick story uh, that I wanted to share uh, that's not really, I guess, connected to Dice Funk, but it was more connected to Austin, if that's all right. Oh God! Here's where it, here's what happens. Here where I finally get destroyed. I'm gonna get, <laughs> no. get, get annihilated in front of everyone. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, so, uh, just real quick, I uh, recently realized this year that I'm trans and I'm slowly coming out. And uh, one of my first decisions of doing that was to tell people that I was uh, super comfortable with knowing they probably were gonna act really poorly uh, or anything like that. And I've had a mixture of reactions since, you know, I came out to certain amounts of people. Uh, but I wanted to specify that when I told Austin, uh, I was like, hey, I think I'm trans. Uh, Austin's response was simply congratulations with like a big exclamation point. And uh, that meant the fucking world to me. Hell yeah. In a way I can't explain. 
because until that point, I had never seen my being trans as something to be celebrated. Like I always kept internalizing it as this weird, like almost like baggage I had to have or something like that. Like, oh, people will have to overlook that to see the the person behind it. And this is the first time somebody was like, nah, man, this is something to this is something to fucking celebrate. This is like a high five moment or something like that. Yeah. And that meant a lot to me. And I just wanted everyone to know that Austin is a very, very good person. I just want to say Austin hell fucking yeah that's 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 wonderful to hear you are good <laughs> yeah I that is the you. that is the you're the best that is the best response there fantastic yeah and also con- congrats like absolutely like yeah you were halfway through telling the story i didn't want to interrupt it yeah. but i you you were like i've been realizing i'm trans i i yeah. always say congrats to yeah, people yes. go, congrats and then you said it was the point of the story <laughs> but yeah seriously that's awesome and realizing that you're yourself is one of the best things that can possibly happen to you in life and i'm so happy for you thank you so much I, it really means a lot i appreciate it so much uh, it's been so wonderful telling stories with you all. Uh, you know, I've said before, and I feel like everyone says this, everyone takes this as a joke, but like Chris is genuinely one of my favorite storytellers of like my lifetime. Like <laughs> I'm talking about like filmmakers, like novelists, like Stop. it's not an exaggeration, just incredible character work and comedy. And, uh, all of you have made my dream job come true by doing this with me. And, uh, <laughs> You own me publicly. Just destroy my entire ass for the whole world to see. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> honestly, all of you have been... I've, all of you on this call are people who at some point I've done done Dice Funk with. And honestly, it has been one of the... One of the most wonderful things I've, I've been able to work on in my life. In that, like, before I joined Dice Funk, I never thought I had the capacity to be part of telling stories. And mm-hmm. genuinely, I can't imagine a better group of people to have facilitated being a part of telling some stories that I think are genuinely wonderful and that I'm really fucking proud of existing. So thank you all for being yeah. lovely. Yeah, same sentiment here. And I'll just echo Austin's comment towards both Chris and Austin in this respect. You know, uh, I've, you know, I, I've always had... Uh, still working on my own abilities as a storyteller and it's just amazing how uh, effortless uh both of you make the experience seem to be and also kind of effortless to be around when the storytelling is happening so you know uh i've said this before and i'm just gonna put it on you know, like i actively believe that i am a better person by having been part of this so that's yet a another reason why it's always tough to uh step away from it as a cast member because I still feel like there's room to grow and there'll be other opportunities, obviously, but, um, it's been really, yeah. it's been really good to get to know you. Like, uh, you've been, I, I, this is something that listeners won't know necessarily, but sketch has been incredibly helpful, um, to someone like me who hasn't had the most experience of, of D and D before this, like a little bit, but not loads. Sketch is incredibly devoted to, to, to the show and to the game and, and has such an incredible knowledge of the rules and also like can do such, uh, like really cool, uh, stuff with like D and D beyond and like help out behind the scenes in really cool ways. And yeah, it's just been amazing to, to, to get to know you and like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll miss you next season, bud. Um, 
I want to say to Austin, like, your DMing has just, like, blown me away throughout the entire season, uh, both in the how, like, a consistent and, 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 and sound story was being told, while also your incredible ability to improvise, and, like, I've been I've been listening to the whole show while I've been playing, so I've been becoming more and more of a Dice Funk fan. And I guess that's a comment for for Chris as well. Like I, uh, a little bit starstruck right now. Like genuinely, <laughs> it's really oh, cool to don't. get to meet you. Because like genuinely, like I've been listening to the podcast, and it's just been like it, you, you've been really funny and like for, for all these seasons. And and I've, I've yeah, I've, it's been great to realize what a cool show. Uh, I am getting to be a part of. And, and Laura, like, we knew each other, but we weren't, like, yeah. as close friends before we did the show, and it, you've become an increasingly close friend in my life through throughout this se- through recording this season, and that's been incredible, and I am genuinely really glad that we planned this murder together. Uh, <laughs> because it's been, like, because it's been a really incredible, like, bonding experience to be able to, like, tell a really emotional, meaningful story uh like that and um and mari you're the funniest one you were the funniest <laughs> one on the show the whole time you were so funny you How the hell? Like, How? everyone Just... knows it everyone says it my girlfriend says it to me like three times a day Mari's the funniest one she's so funny <laughs> My secret is I literally just think I'm logging on to play Dungeons and Dragons. I have no concept that this is a show. That's like, honestly the best way to fucking do this. Uh, all right. So uh, it's about time to sign off. I think uh, we've all been very cheesy and corny. And I, I you know, want to add on to that. Thank you very much for listening. Um we are going to be hearing all these people again. I expect a shard point on my desk as soon as possible. Chris, I'm going to rope you into something. You'll be around. I don't know what it'll be. Maybe we'll just talk about JoJo or something. <gasps> um, okay. Why are the people... I ask people, hey, did dogs die in JoJo's Bizarre Oh, all adventure? the time. Constantly. I was betrayed. The, all the time. Uh, yeah. No, I was betrayed. Yeah, but like the dog that dies is gross and it sucks and you hate it, this so it's is, fine. Mari... This is why you need the website doesthedogdie.com. I thought I could just go hey Twitter and everyone was like it's fine. He tricked me. Nah, don't 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 trust him. Don't trust him. So it's time for our famous sign off BRB fart. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want to hear the clapping in the audio? No. <laughs> the clapping? <laughs> I have I have dummy thick cheeks, and so when I fart, it's really slappy. <laughs> but like every person I've ever dated who, once upon being exposed to what my farts sound like, are deeply upset. So I just thought. <laughs> oh. Goodbye, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> be fun. Is- BRB is that going to be the name of? Is that the name of the episode now? If Great. you say okay. it, say it. Oh. BRB fart. It's already been said multiple times. So say it. Say, say it. it. Say it. Burp fart. Say it. Say it. Well, okay. Wait one second here. I got. I got to put. The, I got to put the reverb on for this one. Just BRB farts. <laughs> there you go. Put that on your soundboard and smoke it. You know. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
coats with scars of red tied round their throats to keep their little heads from falling in the snow. And I turn round and there you go. And Michael, you would fall and turn the white snow red and strawberries in the summertime.